Great Expectations for Global Perspectives. Today I have Akos on the podcast. He shares his experience of immigration to Canada from Hungary with his family. We talk about the importance of hiring an immigration consultant and the differences in business mindset between Europe and North America. If you're interested or consider a move to Canada, this episode is for you. I hope you enjoy listening. Hello, Akos. Nice to see you again. Nice meeting you again, Barbara. Mm -hmm. You're today on the podcast um, because you're an expert yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Um, my name is Akos. I'm the co-founder of Ability Matrix. Ability is an innovation consulting company working with behavioral science, product market fit, uh, service design, design thinking. So everything around innovation and human behavior. Um, that's where they call us. That's where we help. Mm -hmm. And um, given your name and uh, your background story and uh, the theme of this podcast, you have moved abroad, right? You're originally from Hungary. Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I started my professional journey in Hungary uh, for small, very, very small stints. Uh, I was once in Germany, um, UK. And um, now, since August 2022, uh, I live in Canada. I'm on a work visa here, so I'm not a permanent resident. Uh, I'm on a work visa. Mm -hmm. And since last September, uh, also my family is living here. I have a wife and I have a one-year-old son. So mm -hmm. he was born 2022, so the May, mm -hmm. May of uh, 2022. Was he, he just... Was he born uh, already in Canada or still in Hungary no. or no. any other uh, place you live? He was born in Hungary and it uh, heavily influenced. Uh, I mean, originally we received the work visa um, December 2021. So we could potentially um, enter Canada starting you know, January 1st, 2022. But because my wife was pregnant, we decided that uh, we're going to stay in Hungary. Uh, she will give birth to our son there. And um, eventually at one point, we will move to Canada. So it was quite a hectic year last year because uh, my son was born prematurely. Um, so there were some concerns uh, regarding the last period of, of, um, of pregnancy. And uh, then preparing everything for my son, then preparing Canada for them. Uh, by the time we hopped on the plane, my son was four months old. And um, That's so it was quite stressful. And we also yeah. got a dog here. So one month or, or one and a half month later, I just flew back to Europe to pick up the dog and uh, get her here. Wow, that so. sounds insanely stressful but uh, let's back up a few steps you said you lived sure. in multiple countries and cities before right what yep. um what decided you to spread your wings from hungary to other places was there an initial thought that you want to i don't know break free share with us or where you thought business would take you mm. 
since then I was speaking uh, different languages, German, English. Um, Hungarian. I was always Hungarian. Yeah, I was always in jobs where, where I had to contact uh, people outside Hungary, either as part of my job or, or uh, that was, you know, 100% of my job. Uh, and I was always looking for uh, different cultures. So I really enjoy uh, working with different cultures. Even within Ability Matrix, we have uh, people working with us from multiple countries, multiple cultures all around the globe. So we are a remote-only organization. And as a result, we, we try to hire the best talent, no matter where they live. Mm-hmm. And, and I really enjoy working with with all the different cultures. Um, that kind of diversity really inspires me on one hand. And the other thing is that um, the core knowledge or or the proprietary knowledge that we're using within the company, the behavior-based uh, segmentation model that we're using, uh, I, I was never really um, sure that that uh, it is something built for for the European market. So mm-hmm. I forgot to mention, but I, I had a six-month stint uh, in the U.S., but I guess we're going to touch it later on in the show. Um, but yeah, I, I always thought that that uh, that kind of innovation that I'm interested in doesn't really happen in Europe. Mm-hmm. So either the U.K. or or uh, overseas, that's, that's where my place is. And mm-hmm. to be honest, I, I really enjoy these cultures. So the culture of U.K., um, the culture of, of uh, East Coast in the U.S. and and later Canada. Mm-hmm. So you're you're really inspired by the English English speaking culture. I take it. Um, what was it where you were thinking? Oh, this this needs to have a, an English speaking market, or was it just that it's bigger? Or where do you draw the line between Europe Europe and the U.K. as well? Because um, you know, Brexit wasn't super long ago. I mean, yeah, where, um, how, how are you inspired by the English speaking culture? Oh, uh, it's not about the English speaking culture. It's more like uh, the business oriented culture. So what I feel that uh, Europe and the European Parliament is, is pretty much representative of, of uh, the speed of Europe. So if you want to get things done um, prior to Brexit, uh, so my experience with the UK is prior to Brexit, uh, multiple cultures trying to make things happen in London and, and um, mostly in London. So that is where my experience comes from. And again, the East Coast uh, in the US, New York, Philadelphia, um, that region, there's business, there's change, there's innovation, and uh, it's really up to you. So the market is big enough. Uh, both in Canada, I mean, um, through Canada, it is easy to sell services uh, to the U.S. So I was more curious about uh, really what is the best market for our services, for our innovation-oriented mindset. And in that regard, I believe that uh, it's hard to compete with with uh, U.S. Uh, and I would say U.K. as a secondary market. Obviously, Asia is, is huge on innovation, but... Um, yeah, due to family reasons, we never really contemplated or, or really thought about moving to Asia like Singapore or China or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we don't okay. speak the language. And that is, um, I'm a huge believer that that uh, wherever you live, you should speak the language because that's how you understand the culture and how, how it really helps you to become part of that culture. Definitely. Um... 
But coming back before we dive into what Ability sure. Matrix does, um, have you ever had a business in Europe as well where you could test your hypothesis or in your in any any home market before going to the US or Canada? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been doing this um, innovation consulting for 14 years and we have a company in Austria, we have a company in Hungary and we have a company in uh, Canada as well. So I kind of have the background to compare how fast business is happening in one country or the other, or how easy it is to to enter one country or the other, and what is the the mindset in general to to innovation and and new companies entering the market. So what really separates US is is the risk taking mentality compared to any other market. Mm -hmm. So if here every company we're in the B two B sector, so here every company is trying to find the edge. So what what is the thing that only a few people know, but can really give me the edge on the market? And, and they are constantly trying to improve, not every company, but a huge, huge portion of the companies here in North America are trying to, to improve, to get better, to save time, to, to somehow find that little next step that all, can only come through improving your services, improving your processes, or, or finding new markets, new products, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that, um, for example, the, the we have a company in Austria, and uh, the German-speaking mindset when you're doing a company there is that you have a huge market, 100 million people, German-speaking people in the Dach region, so Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, and um, only a few companies look beyond. I can totally understand it, but that that kind of um, gives them a glass ceiling in terms of of uh, how they think of innovation, how they think of market. Um, it's there are very good companies there, exceptional ones. I mean, just look at the Austrian uh, family-owned businesses: Red Bull, uh, Magna Steyr. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot of exceptional companies there. But it takes very long for them to to really focus on the global market instead of the German speaking or the European market. And just the structure that Europe is built, it's it's just slow. Europe is very strong on on uh, the foundation of research, like uh, health research or or um, I don't know university related research. But when it comes to business and business innovation, mm -hmm. it's China maybe India and US, that's it. Mm -hmm. so and everyone you, is following suit. Yeah, so you were really seeking out the, the mentality to go ahead and uh, create more innovation. And yes. I take it as a business consultant, you really, you really pick Canada um, or the US for the opportunities. Am I understanding this right? Exactly, exactly, mm -hmm. yes. Okay, so but this was after you after 14 years of building your market in um, Austria and Hungary and where you started your first businesses, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, originally the company was founded in the US, but um, yeah, that was quite early. I would say I made some bad decisions back there, so we were very early to the market. Mm. It was quite obvious. Uh, when was this? You know, uh, 2011. 
Mm -hmm. So 12 years ago, um, practically when, when I thought that, that our service offering is ready, uh, I immediately liquidated all my assets uh, in Europe, um, built, a, incorporated a company in the US and um, yeah, started flying back and forth, uh, trying to really build a business. So figure out, okay, how can I meet the people I want to meet? Uh, how can I pitch my services and whether they will be interested in, in my services or not. Back in back 12 years ago, uh, it wasn't commonplace to do video calls. Um, so it, it was, uh, I was uh, way less educated in, in how to do business with the US, how to do international business. And um, yeah, I made some bad decisions. Mm -hmm. There's no other way putting it. Which is why you're not uh, based in the U.S. right now, I take it. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I um, we kind of, we, so the company and I fell into a category that was non-existent in the U.S. So um, the U.S. immigration system is, is uh, or back then was uh, kind of strange because either you had a ton of money like investing one or two million dollars or in that range and even investment wasn't really an option for uh, hungarian citizens so u.s immigration is pretty much based on on what is your citizenship not where you are living or not where your company is uh, located what is what is your uh, citizenship and based on that you have different routes to to really enter the u.s but the u.s immigration system is more supportive of Uh, U.S. companies, especially the large companies, uh, trying to get the best talent to work with them. Uh, there was talk about the startup visa back then, but it never really happened. Uh, during the years, I, I tried to enter the U.S. market and, and make it legally work, the, the work visa. So I was just uh, someone owning a company and, um, you know, on a tourist visa, business tourist visa, traveling back and forth. Uh, and trying to comply with the regulations and the rules. Um, but it was very hard to to find the right box that you could fit in. And if you don't find the box in the US, then there is no process for you. Maybe there are you know lawyers that can find uh, a way to fit you in, but that was beyond my budget back then. Mm -hmm. So the range I was able to invest in the uh, US uh, adventure, somewhere between 100 and 200k uh, didn't really give me the the options or yeah or i wasn't just really ready to you know invest 50k in a lawyer that maybe can solve your problem or maybe not mm -hmm. so with less money you have the option to to go and work for a us company and then you are dependent on that us company and even today living in canada i meet a lot of people that are moving from us to canada just because of that reason that they are so dependent on on uh, the companies that provide the visa sponsorship that once they are you know fired or, or let go of the company then all of a sudden they have a limited time to find a new job and even after 10 or 20 years they are not receiving uh, green cards or support mm -hmm. so so you would say immigration is really hard for people of non-american citizenship to Absolutely. besides besides finding US. a regular job yeah. yeah okay yeah, yeah i mean uh, there must be ways mm -hmm. but uh, we made the decision after 
we decided that um, that we want to become a, a family with children that uh, okay whenever we move somewhere um it needs to be supportive of of um of the values and the life we want and i don't really want to live in a country where you know anyone can have a gun and uh, an automatic gun so so there was multiple things that were not aligned with the way you wanted to live as well yeah okay. yeah yeah i mean I, i'm still a huge fan of of the u.s markets and mm -hmm. um just not the they have their but but um yeah it's uh, kind of a safe distance to do business from canada with the us mm -hmm. um i mean canada has its own challenges but but i would pick canada mm -hmm. 10 out of 10 okay. compared to the us when you have to make a decision where you want it mm -hmm. but we're going already in the in the nitty-gritty details um i want to go a little bit back with uh to where your background is from and how you how you as a person before you became an immigrant fell in love with entrepreneurship and decided to embark on this journey like what led you there what connections that you made inspired you to i don't know pick canada finally where you're at now or what was what was it along the way that helped you get to where you are mm -hmm. that's a tough question i mean um i've been always working with entrepreneurs so right probably yeah when during my college years uh, i was uh, doing translation from german to hungarian and i was supporting engineers on their trip and and uh, doing translation services and that was a small company so i could really feel what's happening there and and um, all the tasks that they provided mattered um then i was working uh, with a small company building it up uh, from three people to 14 uh, in two and a half years so yeah i guess um i never really had it uh, any other way just you know building from scratch and i kept doing that um so either it was for myself or for others but but i was always trying to be an icebreaker and and build something from the scratch whether it's uh, you know new markets or a whole new company or a new division for a larger company uh, my only stint with with a really large company that was part of Deutsche Telekom was 11 months and um, yeah it was fun great people great place to work with I have very fond memories of that but it was just not for me I mean it's um, it's hard to get things done in a large organization and mm -hmm. and that was annoying to me so mm -hmm. I, I really couldn't I didn't feel comfortable uh, when I looked at what I what I delivered for that company in that time span or time frame. Mm -hmm. So that's that's it. So it's not on the company. Mm, it was more on me or more on the. It was not a good fit. Mm -hmm. And wonderful people were there. So I still remember my colleagues from that time. And what about your connection to innovation since you're combining now, um, you know, entrepreneurship, having your own business, but you are an innovation consultant, right? For big yes. businesses, yes. you actually work yes. with corporates um, in your own company, yeah. but as a consultant, how did you come yes. about falling in love with innovation? And then again, with big companies and trying to change them in a way as well. Mm, I started as a software developer, but it turned out that I'm not a good one. So I switched to IT sales and through IT sales, um, 
I had the opportunity to work with innovations. So back in the early 2000s, between 2000 and 2008, uh, I was working with companies that were doing uh, really something new, like uh, putting new stuff on the market. And that's uh, my curiosity, my desire to learn, learn new things, just eventually that there that, okay, how, how does this happen or, or how can we do it better? And at one point uh, we started having a conversation with friends about uh, the success of the iPhone, which didn't make sense to me at that point uh, because it was a feature-wise inferior product. And I was so much uh, coming from tech background, I was uh, so much on, on uh, comparing objective results, objective features. And um, yeah, out of those conversations grew um, my desire to understand how people are making decisions, uh, how innovations are, what innovation is successful, the other or not, even though, you know, some, some might be uh, inferior in features uh, to the others. So just trying to make sense of, of uh, the irrationalities that are happening on the market uh, that just pulled me in and, and the huge desire that I was working with entrepreneurs previously. And that, that's how I ended up with innovation that uh, working with new products, new markets. And, and eventually I wanted to make sense of uh, why one product is successful and the other not. And, and um, it didn't seem rational to me. And yeah, uh, long story short, I came up with a version on, on how you can make sense of the rationality that, that is happening on the market. Yeah, that's, that's how it all started. Sounds cool. So you brought your analytic um, programming mind into the business world. Sounds like yeah, 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 and, and to how people think. So we are we are discovering patterns. We're trying to make sense of the of the irrationalities that are happening around us. Yeah, super interesting. Do you um, do you feel like different cultures uh, do this differently in the way they think? I mean, now that you have so much experience, quite surprisingly, no. <laughs> we're all human after all right yeah yeah we're all human and, and most of our rationalities uh, come from being human and how the mind works um there is a social layer so you know the regulations how your upbringing uh what is the normal um mostly communications or or uh, some i would say social preferences like uh and that, that really is mostly descriptive in some special fields like, uh, you know, supporting elderly people or services for elderly or children or diversity. So there are special things that are highly influenced by the values of, of that uh, social system or the country. But when it comes to business, uh, B2B services or B2C service, uh, products, it's human, it's the lizard brain. Mm -hmm. So when, when you get the lizard brain and, and all the layers that are built on top of the lizard brain, um, they're pretty much the same. Yeah. So the, you have to factor in each country and culture, but not to the extent that most people think of. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, all right, but let's go back to the details. You initially um, founded your company in the U.S., and then after having a difficult start and not making it work legally, you came back to cozy Europe for 10 years and now decided to venture out again, right? Yeah, unfortunately, I had a 10 year stint in Europe. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I couldn't manage the visa 
And at one point, there's a, a Fuck Up Nights Toronto video up on YouTube, so anyone can look it up. I will but, link it uh, in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. It's a good uh, video. <laughs> I enjoyed your personal story there. There's more detail on on you um, moving back to Europe after your US uh, venture. But I, I want to go now into um, what held you in the US for so long. Were you afraid to try again? Or was it just familiar and cozy to, to stay? Uh, I mean, I pretty much burned all my money uh, on the US trip. Uh, then I fought to depression, burned the rest of my savings. So I had to uh, build from scratch. It was more like a necessity than, than uh, really a choice. But you were mm-hmm. still set on having your own company in Europe and you still uh, founded your own company when you came back or was there a stint where you um, were employed? No, no, I was, uh, mm, I mean, I like the, the grinding of building something and uh, I cannot let go. So um, I kept building my own company. And I didn't really go back to work with uh, with any other company or for any other company. So when uh, coming back to Europe after I would say a mental break of um, one one and a half year, uh, I started building the company back from uh, scratch and just building it to where it is now, fourteen or fifteen people all around the globe. Um, so yeah, Europe was a necessity. I mean, I loved working with our clients, so I'm not necessity in that part, but my dream and, and my vision was always to get back on, on uh, the US market. So mm-hmm. that, that's uh, probably the one thing that hasn't changed in the last 12 years. Mm-hmm. And you, you touched upon mental health and depression. Was this um, yep. due to the due to the visa and um, like cahoots to you for still going for entrepreneurship? Um, because I think that necessarily doesn't really help with <laughs> depression either um but no uh, neither does a job to be fair but i mean how did you deal with all of this like um the difficulty with the us building your own company from scratch here mental blockages like mm-hmm. what was that it's like? a great it's a great question um, at that time, I thought that uh, the depression was caused by by uh, this visa issue, but I think it's more about losing control. So back then, I mean, and, and usually depression comes when when you lose control of your own own life, or that at least that's how you feel that you're losing control of, uh, of your own life. So so I really lost control. I we weren't married back then. So my current wife, back then girlfriend, uh, was really supportive uh, uh, of my struggles. And without her, um, yeah, probably I wouldn't be even here. And yeah, so it was more about losing control. uh, And my wife really helped me get out of it. Just being there and and, uh, being the hook or the anchor to, to life at all. Um, And uh, what was the second part of the question? The second part was how you dealt with the entrepreneurship part of it and mm-hmm. keep grinding even when you have, um, when you feel like taking a break or, um, I don't know, mm-hmm. dealing with your mental health and just focusing on, you know. I think uh, entrepreneurs always have more problems on their plate that they can solve. So 
we were having a discussion with friends where I tried to explain uh, what is the daily life of, of an entrepreneur or a CEO or whoever is that you always have the problems that other cannot solve in your team or, or your clients or whatever. And uh, because of that, um, yeah, you can decide to break down for when you're facing any of these challenges or problems. But for um, for entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, war, COVID, someone leaving the country, uh, the company, or a client not paying or something else. There is, there is always problems. And I'm not trying to downplay uh, the effect of COVID uh, or the war right now. So I'm not, not trying to really downplay this because these are important and, and life-changing moments but uh, in regards of of the company that you run or you work with it's just another obstacle obstacle that you have to deal with and um, compared to depression these problems yeah on a scale one to ten if you say that uh, depression and and uh, trying to end your life is is nine then all of the other problems are somewhere between three to six, if you're not directly impacted. I mean, obviously, if we would have a Ukrainian company or or just uh, co-workers living in the war zone, uh, I would say that probably that's again nine or 10 on a, on a scale that how, how... How much you're affected are and what big of a crisis yeah. it is. Yeah, and how much you're involved, uh, mm -hmm. so like mentally. I mean, if you're not directly involved, um, mm -hmm. it really helps to keep your composure mm -hmm. and have utmost respect to to people living in in Ukraine and and uh, trying to, you know, live their life and and just run their companies. There are companies from Ukraine that are still working, and it's it's just unimaginable to me how they do that. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's, that's like life happens and. It's um, sometimes fortunate, sometimes unfortunate. But yeah, you're right, like entrepreneurship, if that's your goal and your dream. Um, I'm glad it didn't waver you after um, your stint with the US. You just have to keep grinding. I mean, uh, entrepreneurship is is 99% grinding. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks that it's something, you know, pompous or, or uh, lights and magic and I don't know. But 99% is grinding and solving problems that other cannot solve. Mm -hmm. That's a good tip. But with that, let's go back into you trying again with mm -hmm. uh, the, the US and the Canadian market. What did you do different this time? And what you mentioned the work visa before. Was there an option for an entrepreneurship visa or did you open a new branch or payroll company in Canada with your own business? How did you do it? Um, I involved an immigration consultant from the get-go. So probably that was the best decision and the, the most different or, or what really made the difference is that prior to landing Canada, I really did my uh, research involving uh, legal consultants um, and immigration consultants. So I didn't really rely on, on uh, professionals that I thought um, might be professionals or, or um, 
you know, trying to help you because that's in their best interest. I really did a thorough research on, on immigration consultants, immigration lawyers, and uh, I hired one and they did the assessment on, on how we can do that. I mean, uh, we still want to do business here. So it's not just the purpose of uh, relocation, it's more the purpose of the business. And, uh, and they helped us figure out, okay, what is the visa class that you can fit in and, uh, and how, how we can get you a work visa here. So, and it's, um, as far as I can remember, it was an entrepreneurship visa. So we, we created a company here, my co-founder and I, uh, my co-founder runs the business in Austria. And, um, after that, uh, we applied for, uh, for a visa called, if I believe correctly, C13 or something like that, mm -hmm. but I. I would advise anyone to to get an immigration consultant. I mean, Canada has plenty of of options if you want to immigrate here. Uh, but since it's such a complex and uh, complicated system, you really need uh, the help of someone to navigate you and find the best mm -hmm. visa option that fits you. Mm -hmm. So I've seen people come here through student visa, work visa, permanent residency, provincial programs, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there, there are certainly a lot of options. I'm just curious, um, did you have, like, how does it work? Did you come on the visa first and then build your company or was the company first and then your visa? Company first, company first, because the company applied for sponsorship for my visa. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so you incorporated in Canada and then gave yes. yourself a visa over that. Very interesting. Yes, that was the process. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And on that visa, you could also bring your family, I take it. Yeah, usually, I mean, uh, Canada is, is uh, very supportive of this. So mm -hmm. if you're on a work visa, uh, your spouse gets an open work permit. Uh, I'm bound to my company, so I cannot work with any co other companies. So I cannot do it like, uh, you know, come here on a work visa and then make a decision that, okay, I don't want to work with my own company anymore. But I want to apply for a job and get hired by another company that doesn't work. Uh, but your spouse can can work with any company in any job, so they are not bound uh, to your company or to your work visa. You don't have to employ your spouses, and um, so yeah, that's an important factor. Mm -hmm. And how long did it did it overall take you to obtain this visa type? Mm -hmm. I can't remember the preparation process, but uh, from turning in all the documentation to getting the visa was something like uh, three and a half week, month. So somewhere between three to four months. Mm -hmm. But the preparation was, I would say, another four months. Okay. And I was very, very well prepared because in 2012, I was contemplating on uh, applying for a visa to Canada. In 2012? Yeah, in 2012, wow. right after I was reversed uh, from the US, uh, I was uh, thinking that, okay, what's, what's the best way to get back? And, and it was Canada, but but uh, back then, again, with Canada, I, I did have the same problem that I did, really didn't fit any of the boxes. Mm -hmm. Because if you are running a company, then they are expecting that the company is big and um, 
that you have substantial money to invest okay. or or um, so if I, I if I would have stuck with uh, my developer uh, profile or developer job it would have been very easy to um, come to Canada but I have changed you know mm -hmm. my my profession that's super interesting because I thought um, there's a lot of sole traders or freelancers or something that would be coming to the US or Canada as well. But um, yeah, you're right, uh, entrepreneurship and startups <laughs> always have more hurdles. Um, what was, I mean, considering you had almost a decade to prepare for this, do you, did you find any hurdles or anything that you found particularly curious when it came to your visa process? Um, I don't know, probably uh, we had to travel to Vienna for biometric uh, identification. Mm -hmm. So part of the process was that uh, after you have uh, submitted all the documentation, you had to go to uh, the Vienna embassy and there is a company doing that uh, on behalf of the Canadian country government, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that was uh, a strange. Mm, other than that, uh, yeah. I mean, I can only advise to to get a an immigration consultant slash lawyer because because they they know their job and they can help you through it. Uh, we had all the uh, degrees, uh, so university degrees translated. Um, I would advise to get the university transcripts as well uh, mm -hmm. because you might need it or might not. So translation translation was uh, very tedious and. Um, to some extent expensive compared to the whole process not but uh, you had to work with special translators so it wasn't just like you know you would translate some documentation either the translation had to happen by the issuing authority so if it was your university then they had to provide everything in english then you didn't have to translate but uh, and you also had to ask for reference so kind of references that they can call or, or uh, get in touch with you that uh, the background story that you're that is part of your application is is true and they can check on it that okay mm -hmm. this is really something that that I really you know mentored startups or worked with those companies and really provided value that almost like so a character reference on demand yeah, yeah. Okay. Character and professional reference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then again, um, you had another, well, let's call it hurdle. You had a family in the making. Um, yeah. Were there any restrictions when your wife came over and childcare and all of the, all of getting all of these things acknowledged? Because um, different countries have different laws for maternity leave or. Um, maternity payments etc how was that like we are not getting any any type of such uh, support here because we're on a work visa so um, i would say that uh, canada when you're planning to come come to canada uh, there is a difference between how easy it is to apply for a canadian visa and how easy it is to get things going here um, you would assume that based on the very transparent and, and uh, supportive process of, of getting a work visa is 
is uh, descriptive of what's going to happen after you land here, but it's not. I mean, um, the information is not transparent. There are very, very complicated systems and uh, customs here. So, for example, when I landed, uh, I came here mid-August, just myself, to get everything sorted out from apartment, uh, my paperwork, getting them, picking up the work visa, all things that, so that they can come here and, and just really move in a flat with a little baby. So they, we don't have to move from one Airbnb to the other mm -hmm. because uh, that's yeah. manageable with, with a four-month-old baby. Definitely hard, yeah. So when I first landed, I figured out that, okay, I'm going to go and pick up my uh, social insurance number, which is kind of a tax number. And uh, yeah, that is done by Service uh, Canada. And um, I found the Service Canada spot went to the service Canada spot. I was made aware of that. Uh, it's going to be a long queue. So I should be there 30 minutes prior to opening. I was there 15 minutes prior to opening and it, the queue was already 300 meters long wow. during a hot summer day early in the morning. Just, uh, you know, I had to figure it out 45 minutes later that that location doesn't serve uh, social. They only served passport because after COVID, everyone wanted to get their passport. So some of the service Canada locations changed to serving passport requests only. And um, yeah, I wasn't the only one because they immediately handed me a small paper with the right address where I should go. But since they only serve a select amount of people, uh, I wasn't sure you know, whether I will be served on that day or not. Mm -hmm. So I went to the other location, um, obviously, you can rent a car, but since you don't have a Canadian driver's license, it's going to be way more expensive than than uh, when a Canadian rents a car. So I went to the other location, which was 40 minutes away from the original one. There was again a 300 meter long or 200 meter long queue. And uh, standing at the end of the line, uh, a guy came out of the um, actual establishment and told me that uh, it is most likely that I'm, I'm not gonna fit for the day but and you were standing you couldn't leave really the queue because the others would take your place and um, there was no water no I mean I wasn't prepared for standing in the sun for six to eight hours but fortunately enough I could manage to get my uh, social that day Mm -hmm. So, so there are plenty of challenges, and one of them is just like you mentioned, um, childcare. Because if you're on a work visa, you have different uh, rights compared to permanent residents. If you're on a work visa, you're not getting uh, childcare, childcare support. You're not getting, uh, you're not enrolled in the programs that are available to to all Canadian children's children, for example, like having your teeth checked. Uh, free of charge yearly, so we have to pay for that. Um, and in general, I would say that um, Canadian healthcare is divided into, it's kind of a location-based healthcare. So once you have a job and you can prove that you have a job, here in Ontario, you have access to a card called OHIP, Ontario Health Insurance Program or something like that. And that requires you to have an address in Ontario and to have a work uh, contract so that someone is paying 
um, paying your healthcare and that you live here. Uh, to live here means that you have an apartment and a rental agreement. So mm -hmm. I tried to get my OHIP, but since I didn't really have a rental agreement yet, they, they didn't provide me with an OHIP, for mm -hmm. example. So now you're all working this out and trying to um, register everyone on your social or have you figured out a solution to this problem? Um, no, I mean, uh, we had a contract already, but it was starting September, mid-September. So I signed a lease contract in August, but it started mid-September when my family was coming back. And I tried to use that lease contract to get my OHIP uh, Mm -hmm. you know, first day of September or something like that. And they told me that since the lease will start 15th of September, come back after 15th of September. So, yeah, and these these are the things that, you know, doesn't make sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. But again, it took us all together, I would say, for the social, yeah, it took me one day. My wife's social, we got through uh, mail. You can apply electronically and they send it out in email, uh, in snail mail. Um, it took three weeks or something like that. We didn't really need that uh, because she's not working. She's she's at home with our kid. Um, so there was no time pressure for getting the social. Mm -hmm. um, and for OHIP, um, yeah, I did mine September 15, 16, something like that. Because they were they were kind of, they were kind enough to give me an appointment, so right when I showed up, uh, they told me, okay, we're not gonna be able to issue an OHIP today, but uh, I can give you an appointment so you don't have to wait another four hours because I was waiting for four and a half hours just to get there. Mm -hmm. uh, generally, I would say appointment setting with the uh, Service Ontario or Service Canada is not gonna work if you're outside of Canada, so you need the local number. Um, there are not options compared where you could pretty much pick anything or, or uh, any date that fits you. Mm -hmm. Here you're offered one or two dates and take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. so it's not like, okay, for every Friday I can manage and then I pick something for Friday or early in the mornings. You pick the location, they provide you with a, with one or two options and, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I would say sorting out everything, including the family doctor, which took the longest, it took us two or three months. Mm -hmm. And um, if you if you want to share as well, how much did it overall cost, including a consultant and legal fees and like incorporating, etc. Like, do you have an an average number for anyone wanting to become an entrepreneur in Canada? Um, I would say something between ten to thirty thousand uh, uh, Canadian dollars. Mm -hmm. So that that would be my ballpark estimate. I never really did a, a calculation, and it's highly dependent on on what you can get in in English. Mm -hmm. um, they have changed the the regulations because initially we incorporated in in uh, British Columbia because back then in Ontario they had a regulation that. Uh, at least 50% of the directors need to be Canadian residents. Uh, and uh, yeah, since then they have lifted this. Okay. So right now you you just would incorporate in, in Ontario, I guess, if you would be coming for Ontario mm -hmm. or to, to Ontario. 
um mm. yeah, yeah that's it interesting that you also had to adjust to state law as well as to national law crazy how minute it gets the more detailed um yes uh, i just one one thing to mention here and this is very important that uh in canada uh it's kind of like uh, the European Union or the US, so that you have the provinces and then you have Canada as a country. Mm -hmm. uh, think of Canada as the European Union and the provinces as the countries. And each province has its own health program, related regulations, uh, rental stuff. So how rent, how apartment rental or, or uh, house rental is regulated. Um, Taxes, mm -hmm. buy cars, uh, sales tax. So every, everything is different uh, for each province. There are some general guidelines, which I would say apply for all provinces, but the the small details uh, differ from one province to the other, and you might be better off uh, going for another province. So wow. like... Um, so you really compared provinces then and settled on... I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, ah, okay. because uh, we wanted to be here uh, in and around uh, Toronto, because uh, every, I would say 60% of, of uh, B2B headquarters are in mm -hmm. uh, Toronto. Yeah, this is an 8, eight million, uh, the greater Toronto area is 8 million people, one of the biggest uh, North American economic centers or metro areas. But uh, but if I would do again, and if, if I were to, you know, do it somewhat differently, then I would probably check out uh, different provinces as well. Mm -hmm. Right. But again, you mentioned now Toronto and the, the choice of moving specifically to Toronto. Um, how did you incorporate into the community and culture now after all the legal stuff and all the regulation how was it actually arriving there in with um, your company with your family and everything integrating into into daily life um there are two parts of the daily life one is i would say private life and the other is the business uh, for business, I started preparations one, one and a half earlier through online networking. There is a tool called Lunch Club. It's an invitation only. Yeah, happy to send invite to anyone if they need. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'll come uh, pack that into show notes as well if you want to provide the link. Mm -hmm. um, so practically, I was trying to build a network. So once I'm here, I can start meeting people. Uh, I went to meetups. Here in Toronto, Canada, people don't really meet one-on-one. -on -one. So it's a, it's a very unique situation. If if someone really calls you and meets you face-to-face, -face, just privately, because uh, of the distances uh, within the greater Toronto area, here no one talks about distance in kilometers. They talk about uh, how much time it, is, it needs to get from A to B. So I live 40 minutes from you, an hour from the city, that kind of stuff. And because of that, you could be living uh, one hour west from the city and uh, the other part of one hour uh, east. And uh, that would mean that, you know, it takes two hours just to meet for 40 minutes. And that, that's not going to happen. That's why networking events is very important here in the GTA region. That's, that's how you can meet people. That's how you can create connections. And there are plenty of uh, such opportunities because that's kind of the... Uh, 
lubricant to the system. So that's that's where people jail and, uh, and meet each other quite frequently. And apart from that video calls, for the private life, uh, I would say there are plenty of programs. Uh, but since we have a small child, uh, it goes through a system called Early On. There's a government uh, paid and supported system that is free for everyone, which is, um, I would say, it's very similar to childcare, but you cannot leave your child there. So it's uh, for the parents, mom, dad, and the uh, children. And uh, you can stay there something like two or three hours. And uh, yeah, that's that's where you meet fellow parents, um, just like in any other country. You know, the kids mm -hmm. bring people together, and that's that's how you start meet meet people and and uh, yeah, getting integrated into the mm -hmm. social fabric of of um, Canada and GTA in particular. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. That um, yeah. Business and private are somewhat different, but I'm surprised to hear that Canada has something specifically for um, getting your private life going and integrating into society. That's that's nice. Um, you can also do volunteer work, fundraisers. So yeah. they encourage you to do this. Yep. Okay. Wow, that's really cool. Um, and now that you've been, how long have you been in Canada now? Remind me again. Uh, I would say almost a year, so mm -hmm. 10 months. So if you were to start this process over again, what advice would you give to a person wanting to do this in entrepreneurship and immigration? Do it, do it. So Canada is a great place to be. Uh, healthcare is very challenging here, but, but all in all, uh, yeah, all the things you hear about Canada are true. I mean, great weather, even the winters, um, <laughs> multicultural. So if you if you love uh, being in a multicultural environment, then then GTA is definitely the place to be. Mm -hmm. Great. No, thanks for the inspirational ending here. Um, is there anything you would like to add to point out or? encourage or whatever or talk say about innovation in canada maybe no i guess uh, we covered all bases but if uh, you know if someone wants to learn more about the canadian market uh, find me on linkedin and if i have time i'll be happy to chat with you mm -hmm. great yeah um, i will also link this in the show notes and uh, with all the other links and thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really inspiring. I can't believe after 10 years you made it happen and you're on the American continent. Um, I hope you feel like you made it, at least the next step or the next phase in your life. And thanks for sharing your, sharing your story. Thank you very much for having me. It was nice talking to you.